Welcome to the Community Church Podcast, your place to belong. Thanks for taking the time to tune into this week's message. I hope that it blesses and encourages you. Well, listen, it is an honor this morning to have Scott and Melissa Williams here with us. Uh, really excited about what God's doing in, in their lives and where he's leading them. And, of course, their children, Hudson and Sophia, are here as well. And uh, just excited for them. Uh, I've known Scott and Melissa, like, all the way back to when we were in Bible college. And, uh, and excited about what God uh, is about to do in their new venture in Spain. And so would you do me a favor today? Would you give a warm welcome to Scott and Melissa Williams? Thanks, Frank. Good morning, everyone. How are you? Good. Oh, I'm, I'm doing well. Thank you. Um, yeah, we're the Williams. So I'm Scott, my wife, Melissa, which you'll be hearing her share. Yeah, so I come home every year for a month or two to travel churches and that kind of thing. And I usually do that alone. This year, because we're transitioning, they're all with me. And so Melissa gets a share on this trip, which is, which is great. I just have to show up with my coffee and just hang out. So that's, that's all right, eh? Uh, and we've got our kids. Hudson is on the wall, and Sophia has her back to you. Uh, Taking notes of the sermon, I'm sure. Uh, Hudson, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what she's doing. So on your tables, you'll see our little prayer card. We did um, uh, a graphic design this year. You guys can put that anywhere in your home if you wouldn't mind praying for us. That'd be fantastic. If you want to know a little bit more about us, you got the little scanny code on the back, which you guys could try. And here, can we take that, please? And the last thing, we do newsletters every now and then. We want to say we do it once a month, which we're, we really don't. It's like once every two months or so. If you would like to receive it, you can uh, sign up on our little iPad and just put your email address in and subscribe to me or whatever. Subscribe me. Subscribe. I now have cheaters with my... I'm at that age now. I was out... Um, I was uh, out, out uh, throwing darts the other day. Or actually, is that like a sin here? Dart? Okay. <laughs> so I <laughs> didn't know. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was out throwing darts, and uh, there was five of us. It was an odd number. We were playing teams. And so they divided it young and old. So it was a 29-year-old, a 32-year-old, a 36-year-old, a 42, and a 46. I know. I've hit that. I'm on the other side now, the line, right? So anyways, great to be here. And uh, Melissa, have at it. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Um, I guess I should thank Alan this morning because he preached my sermon. Um, as soon as he started talking, I showed my notes to the pastor, and so we're going to continue to talk about Matthew 22 this morning. But it is um, awesome to be here. It's so great for us to meet new people and see people we haven't seen in a long time. I, was, I probably will make, might not be a joke, but I was going to say, those who finished Bible college become pastors, those who didn't become missionaries. <laughs> I didn't finish. Um, but uh, God still uses us. Yay. Um, as a family, we have been missionaries now with Pentecostal Assemblies for 11 years. Uh, we've recently served for 10 years in El Salvador, uh, one year prior to that in, in Costa Rica for language school to learn Spanish. And uh, so we just moved home uh, on March 1st. We sold everything that we own aside from one pallet that's still waiting in El Salvador trying to figure out how to get it home with some things that 
the kids just couldn't part with and some things that I couldn't part with as well. Um, but we feel like real missionaries now because I grew up in the church and I never wanted to be a missionary because I listened to missionaries every year on Mission Sunday come and talk about how they had to sell everything they owned to go to a new place. And I thought, hmm, that's a really crappy job. <laughs> and here I am. We have graduated to selling everything we own. We arrived home on March 1st with four suitcases, our two kids, our two cats, and my husband. And, uh, and here we are working. <laughs> Here we are working towards something new. I just want to take a minute before I talk to you about Spain just to talk about El Salvador a little bit because it's a very important part of our journey. Um, ten years ago we landed in El Salvador and we were met at the airport um, by other missionaries. We were fortunate enough to go um, and work with a very large ministry that was already established by the Assemblies of God. Uh, by some U.S. missionaries, a huge children's ministry, um, where in the last 10 years we've done so many different things. Um, we felt welcomed from the beginning. When we got there, there were people there to help us um, find a home, find the places to buy things for your home, the best grocery stores, the best places to find stuff for your kids, and really just to help us feel like we were a part of a family there. And now as we're getting ready to move to Spain, the, the difference being we're moving to Barcelona and there's no other missionaries in that city. So we'll be landing completely on our own, um, having to find somewhere to live, having to look for schools. We're trying to do, who's got their sound on? Was it you, Silk? No? Okay. Uh, I'm just checking on my kids here. Um, um, having to find everything on our own. And so um, it's a really big step for us. It's a really huge step, something we could not have done 10 years ago. Um, it would have seemed way too overwhelming, um, but now we're looking at it as an adventure. And there's a story that got us this far, and so this morning I just want to take a couple minutes to share that with you. About five years ago, Scott and I decided that we were done with missions that we had um, obeyed, we had gone, we had done, um, and we felt like it was time to come home and just get normal jobs and continue living our life that way. And so we packed up everything we owned and we moved back to Canada. And about 30 seconds after we landed, maybe a little more, it was about two weeks before the words actually got verbalized, um, we realized we had made a mistake and that we hadn't listened to God, that we were running away from um, just stuff. We were tired, we were done, and instead of plowing through and plugging forward and trying to see what God had for us next, we decided to quit. And after we verbalized that we had made a mistake, we spent the next year working on getting back to the field, and God actually opened the door up again for us to return to El Salvador, and we did. And when we returned to El Salvador, things felt very different for us. We were a part of a very large ministry that was very programmed. Uh, Latin culture is a tad chaotic. And so when you're working um, in any sort of ministry, it tends to be very programmed with different levels. And it's in order to keep, um, it, to keep things in, under control, to control the chaos. And so 
When we arrived um, back, it didn't feel as comfortable to me as it did before. And I began to sit into chur in church and I began to think about all the people who didn't fit into what we were doing there. And I began to ask God, what about the people who don't fit into the program? What about the people who will likely never walk into our church? Our church in El Salvador was not a building, it was a tent. Uh, we had bought land and then found out afterwards we couldn't build anything on it, so we just put tents up all over the place, and that's what church was. So it was very informal. Um, it wasn't an issue of people, you know, not wanting to walk through the doors of a church. It was, it was a tent. You could walk in from any side. <laughs> um, but God really started to talk to me about what about the people who may never set foot here? And one night... Uh, I'll be transparent, one night Scott and I were having a fight, and uh, at one point in the fight, I went my way, he went his, and I went outside onto the patio of our house, and I went outside, and I was crying and weeping, and I was sort of yelling at God, and I was saying, do you even know what you're doing? Like, why have you called us back to El Salvador if we feel like we don't fit? What's going on? And the night that I was sitting outside, it was a super cloudy night. There were no stars in the sky, nothing. And I said to God, I need to know that you are in control and you know what you're doing. Part of our ministry in El Salvador, there is a prayer fortress on our property uh, for the ministry. There have been people praying there 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the last 20 years. It's the motor of the ministry there. And so out of that prayer ministry, you hear all kinds of stories of how God has shown up and reassured his people that he is in control. And so I laid it out there and I said, listen, I need a prayer fortress story right here on my back patio. I need to know that you are hearing me and that you have got things under control. And I looked up into the sky and the clouds had cleared just a little bit and there was one star in the middle. And I'm not the quickest at times, and I remember thinking, oh, it's starting to clear up. But then God started to speak to me, and I felt the Holy Spirit began to say to me, Melissa, I place every single star in the sky every night. Do you not think I know what I'm doing with you? And I sat there, and I cried some more. This time, I was, it wasn't mad crying. It was, I'm so sorry, God. And I really felt like the Lord was saying to me, I can only show you this much, because if I open the clouds up too far, you won't be able to handle it. And from that moment on in my life, I felt like my blinders had come off a little bit, and every day I began to see the clouds open a little more. And what God couldn't show me four years ago was that he was preparing us to go to Spain, to a place where no one's going to be there to meet us, where there's nothing established, and where he needs us to be thinking about the people who don't fit. And so the next four years, God, it, for the last four years, I, I keep saying it's like a boot camp that God put us through. We began to see people in a very, very different way. And so what, what happened after that was I went, I thought, okay, God, if you're trying to show me something, then maybe I should learn a little more about what you did. And in my devotions, I began to write down just the words of Christ in a journal. I don't know if any of you have ever done this before. 
and if you have one of the Bibles where his words are in red, it's way easier, but I began to read, and I started writing down just the words of Jesus. And you guys know that if you do that and then read that, it's a story all in, unto itself. You could take away all the other words and read the words of Jesus, and it tells you how he lived his life and how he expects us to live ours. It's the coolest thing. And so this morning, I just want to take a minute. We're going to look at Matthew 22. Thanks, Alan. Um, and we're going to talk about that for a minute. But many people have asked us during our transition, why Spain? You have to understand, we're coming from El Salvador, most violent country in the world. High, high percentage of poverty. It's a poor, poor country. And many people have said, why all of a sudden are you going from a third world country to a first world nation? Number one, because God has asked us to go. Number two, because there are 46 million people living in Spain and less than 1% of them are evangelical Christians. They don't know Jesus. They don't. It was a post-Christian nation before, which means it used to be very Christian and now it is not. In fact, there's pushback now. People don't want to know who God is. But Jesus wants people to know who he is. And so he's calling. We're seeing a shift in missions. We're seeing that God is calling people to Europe because Europe needs Jesus too. And so he began to take us on a journey, and I want to share a little bit with you today. But let's go to Matthew chapter 22 for a minute. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 to 40 says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. As I began to read that verse, I began to think about Jesus' life specifically. If we look at Jesus' life, we understand that the New Testament is a record of everything that he did. And basically, if you want the Coles Notes version, Jesus left heaven, he lived among us, he listened, he loved unconditionally with no strings attached. He lived out Matthew 22 every single day, ultimately giving his life for us. If we love the Lord with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. That's what's going to come out of you. If you love Jesus that much, his love is going to be what is spilling out of you, and that is what people begin to notice. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Have you guys ever thought about who your neighbors are? Not just the people who live next door to you on either side or front and back. It's the people that you sit beside at work. It's the people you sit beside on the bus. It's the people that drive in the cars on either side of you on the highway. It's the people you're sitting beside in church. It's the people that are around you that aren't so easy to love. It's true. Sometimes I sit in between my kids. They're my neighbors. Love them so much, but I don't really like them sometimes. <laughs> They're hard to love. But Jesus came and he loved unconditionally. He loved 
everybody the same. And in the New Testament, we see that everywhere Jesus went, people started to follow him. And it was because of who he was and what he represented. And so as we began to, as God began to talk to us about Spain, he also began to work on who we were and what we were emitting from us. Scott and I began to talk about how important it was for our home to be open to anyone to come into. Our home in El Salvador became a place where people knew they could come to. Other missionaries that were struggling, people within our ministry that maybe just needed somewhere to just get it all out, people that we met, good friends of ours that were not even involved in the ministry, moms from the kids' school. Our home became a place that people knew they could just show up at which is against Salvadoran culture. They don't just show up. You have to be invited to go to someone's house, but they learned that our doors were always open. And I can remember that Scott and I began to say to each other, or I began to say to Scott first, after having people into our home, I began to say to Scott, that felt like church. More than going to church on Sunday, that felt like church. Because it was the community that we had, the communion that we had with people. And so, six years ago prior, Spain had been put on the table for us as missionaries, right before we decided to quit missions, so we weren't exactly in a position to think about Spain at that point. But last year, it was brought to our attention again. And in the moment when it was brought to our attention, we said, yes, now is the time, because God had been teaching us what it meant to meet with people and have community with them. In September, we went to Spain for a very quick trip, six days, um, to check out a few different locations where there were options for us to go as missionaries. And POC has a relationship with a denomination in Spain called Salem Church. Salem uh, Church has 12 churches in all of Spain. 12. Remember I said there's 46 million people. There's work to do there. We met with the leader of Salem Church. His name is Marcos Vidal. He's a very famous um, Spanish worship leader uh, and singer, actually. And uh, we met with him, and we were a little leery about what he was going to be like. Like, the guy's famous. He was the most humble man that we'd ever met in our lives. And we sat down with him, and we said, Scott asked him, he said, Marcos, what is your heart for Spain? And this is what he said to us, and it impacted us so deeply. He said, the only thing I can tell you is that I love Jesus so much and I want everyone around me to feel that love as well. The guy's famous. Like, he could have been like, I want to build so many churches and give a bunch of stats. He said, excuse me, this is what I know. I love Jesus and the people around me need to feel that love too. Which goes right along with the way Scott and I have thought for a long time. People need to feel the love of Jesus. They need to see it. They need to see us walking around being like Jesus was when he came. Somebody asked us a while ago and they said, so you guys are church planters and you're going to plant a church. I would have never called myself a church planter before that. But in the last four years after the groups that have been started because of the relationships that we've had with people, I would say sure, in some way, absolutely. Because we're planting the church. It's not about buildings. 
a lot of times it's about the people in the buildings. We are the church. You are the church. You guys know I should be sitting here listening to you guys preach because you've done it. This is the result of opening your doors and living the way Jesus has called you to live. Shortly after we gave, we, shortly after we decided that we would go to Spain, I was driving home in El Salvador one day and I had a thought, vision, I don't know, something God put there. And in my mind, I saw a doorway, an old doorway that had a sign over the door that said La Mesa. La Mesa in Spanish means the table. And I thought, I wonder why I'm thinking about this. So I started to think about what tables mean. Raise your hand if you have a table in your house. We all do. So many good things happen around tables. In our house, when growing up, we would spend hours around the kitchen table because my parents worked full time, and it was the only time we had was eating dinner and then the, the time we took after dinner to, to unpack your day, to get in fights. We got in trouble at the table. You know, we got rewarded at the table. I began to think about tables in businesses. Businesses have boardroom tables. It's where people are hired and fired. It's where dreams are dreamt. It's where um, businesses close. In the Bible, Jesus met around tables all the time. His very first miracle happened at, around the wedding table. At the Last Supper, he told his disciples around a table, he basically was the host of a dinner where he told them about his death. In churches today, you're meeting around a table. We meet at the communion table. The Bible says God is preparing a feast for us. I would imagine it will be on a table. Tables are important. And God began to speak to me, and he began to say, Melissa, will you always make sure that there's room for just one more at your table? And so as Scott and I get ready to go to Spain with our kids, we're walking into something that we have no idea about. But we know that God loves us. We know that he wants us to share his love with everyone. We know he wants us to make sure that there's room at our table. And I know that out of that will be the church. And someday, maybe not when I'm still alive to see it, someday somebody will stand up and say, I've been a missionary in Spain for 10 years and now God's calling me somewhere else because Spain is reached. And it will be because people will begin to say, I have room for just one more at my table. I want to just share quickly with you. I've got five minutes. I want to share quickly. Christmas time, just before we left El Salvador, quite by accident, we started a group. We called it um, Sunday. We called it football church, Sunday afternoon football, which became football church, soccer. We were celebrating a birthday with a family that we were very close to, and their whole family was there. And, like, whole family means, like, the number of you guys into, in a small room. And so Scott began to talk about soccer and said, hey, have you guys been able to play soccer lately? And they hadn't. And long story short, we rented a soccer field on Boxing Day, and we said, we'll rent the field. You guys are responsible to bring people. 21 people showed up to play soccer for two hours, and 
thinking it was going to be a one-time thing, we said, well, we'll take everyone out to eat, and we'll have a really good time. And we did. And when everyone left, they said, when are we doing it again? Because that was the best church I've been to in a long time. And so that began every Sunday afternoon, us playing soccer and then coming back to our home and sharing food and fellowship. And I want to tell you one story that came out of that. One of our guys, Marvin, was married to one of our pastor's daughters, found himself in a situation not uncommon to what happens in El Salvador. He was um, accosted in a shopping mall, made to go into another store to rob it, um, he, uh, they threatened him. They told him where he lived, his wife's name, his daughter's name, where she went to school, everything. Anyway, before he had a chance to rob the, the business, he got arrested, sent to a detention center three hours away, spent 72 hours there. Um, we really missed him that Sunday that he wasn't with us. The next week when he showed up, he had some stories to tell about how God uh, showed himself to him um, we let him know that as a family, we had been praying for him, welcomed him back, didn't ask questions, just said, we're so happy to see you come back. Little did we know the impact of just welcoming him back without judgment into our group would mean. Two weeks after we arrived back home from El Salvador, um, I get a text from another missionary. It's a, just a photo of Marvin and his wife standing at the altar at church. She said nothing, just sent me the photo. So I sent his wife a message, played dumb. Hey, how's it going? Anything new? <laughs> and she wrote back and said, we are so thankful because this morning Marvin wanted to publicly announce to the church that he had, has decided to live for the Lord. Last Sunday, Marvin got baptized. When we left El Salvador, he sat there and he said to us, Words that I'll hold on to, and I am not lifting Scott and I up at all. Please hear my heart. It's all about Jesus. He said, the people in Spain who get to be your neighbors do not know how lucky they are. But because you welcomed me back without any judgment, my life will never be the same. And I got to thinking, imagine if we treated everyone with like, like that, just like Jesus, no judgment, just love one more place at the table, what would our world look like? What would the church look like? And so this morning, I know I'm preaching to the choir. You guys get it. You've done it. This is the fruit of it. But can I encourage you this morning in your homes, in your churches, in your places of business, can you make sure that there's just one more place at the table, always room for one more, so that they can feel what God has for them? friend of ours gave us a note as we were leaving El Salvador, and I'll finish with this. She said, don't read it until you get home. This friend of ours is another missionary who has been spending so much time this year praying and asking God for next steps in her life. And every time she goes away on a prayer retreat, she sends me messages and says, God's speaking to me about you. <laughs> and she, she gave me a note, and she said, God spoke to me and said that, he wants the, t the legs of your table to be so rooted in him and in his Holy Spirit that it's impossible for fruit not to grow there because the relationships that are formed around that table will not be surface relationships. 
They will be deep relationships where people will come to an understanding that Jesus is what they need. And so will you pray for us as a family? It's not going to be easy for us to just land and figure stuff out. We can at least speak the language so we have that on our side. But we really don't know what we're walking into. So would you pray for us as we take these new steps and pray for us that the, that the fruit that comes from people sitting at our table will be exactly what Jesus had in mind when he called us to Spain. Can I pray with you? Father, we thank you so much that you love us. We thank you, Lord, that you have commanded us in the Bible to love you with everything that we have so that there leaves no question as to who we serve, Lord. God, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you, Lord, that they believe in us as a family. And I thank you, Lord, that they are an example of what happens when people just emit your love. I just ask, Lord, that you would continue to bless them. I pray, Lord, that your hand would be upon them. And I pray, Lord, that each and every one of them would continue to do amazing things for you. And I pray that Scott and I would begin to hear stories, more stories, Lord, of what you're doing here in this community. And we love you and we thank you, Lord, for all the opportunities that you give us. And we just ask that you would bless the rest of our day in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Would you do me a favor? Would you just stretch a hand towards uh, the Williams today? And uh, we're going to pray that right now in Jesus' name, that as they venture into that new season and uh, into the unknown, and yet they, they know, right? You know, but you're walking into the unknown, that every bit of provision, every opportunity, go ahead, stretch a hand towards them. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this incredible family. Thanks for listening in to this week's message. Be sure to follow us on all social media to stay updated with everything Community Church. Also check us out at www.communitychurch.ca.